a deal aimed at ending decades of turmoil in Chad. The transitional government and opposition have signed a peace agreement. But with the main rebel group refusing to take part, will this accord hold? And if it does, how far off is democracy in the Central African nation? I'm Mohamed Jamjoum, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. All right, let's go ahead and bring in our guests from the Chadian capital in Jemena. We have Ramaji Hoinati, a senior researcher at the Institute for Security Studies. In Barcelona is Enrique Pico, director of the Central Africa Project at International Crisis Group. And in Oslo is Andrew Yao Chi, senior researcher at the Norwegian Institute of International Affairs, specializing in security issues in Africa. A warm welcome to you all, and thanks so much for joining us today on Inside Story. Ramaji, let me start with you today. Um, how many groups and factions ultimately signed this agreement? How many didn't sign or participate? And do you believe that this agreement can lead to a sustainable peace in Chad? I think that in all we have around uh, 50 groups that were uh, in the talks in Doha. And uh, they, we know that uh, there is um, about 43 groups that finally signed the agreement with uh, the transitional government. And in the other side, we have around eight groups, uh, nine groups that didn't sign uh, this agreement. Uh, what we could say uh, regarding the composition of the different groups, those that signed or those, those that didn't sign, uh, within those that signed, we have uh, some major uh, rebel groups like the UFR, uh, led by uh, RDB. Uh, we also have um, the movement led by uh, the General Mamad Nouri. That's uh, within the biggest groups that signed. But in the other side, we have still uh, the fact that is the front uh, for Concord uh, that didn't sign uh, the agreement. And this is something that uh, is worthy uh, to, to, to notice because uh, we have to recall that uh, the last fightings in which uh, the President Deby uh, got killed were opposing uh, this very movement to the national arm. And uh, this is to mean that the fact is one of the main uh, military mm. uh, groups that are opposing to, to the actual regime. So meaning uh, that uh, we have a deal. Uh, but uh, seeing as one of the major groups is not part of this deal, uh, we don't have this kind of general uh, peace agreement that have been uh, expected from the beginning. Uh, Enrique, uh, you heard Ramaji there talk about the fact that uh, not all rebel groups and factions uh, signed this accord. And, and one of the big worries is the fact that the Front for Change and Concord in Chad, a group that is known as FACT, uh, that's the main rebel group, uh, that they refused to sign this accord despite last-minute efforts by Qatar's mediators. Um, the fact that they haven't signed, the fact that other groups have not signed on to this, uh, how worrying is that? Well, it creates a lot of uncertainty about uh, the future, uh, not only of uh, the transitional process, uh, but uh, about the uh, overall peace in, uh, in the country. Um, we do have, we always have to remember that uh, this peace deal has to be framed in a much broader framework, which is the one of the transition. Uh, the uh, gathering in Doha and the agreement was to be was supposed to be only the first step to bring rebel groups to the national and inclusive national dialogue that is supposed to uh, start next week in Jamena. Uh, so uh, the fact that one of the major armed groups uh, has not signed this preliminary agreement and will be not part, will be not included 
in the national dialogue uh, in the country uh, is already uh, creates the, um, the the condition for further negotiation on one side that might also uh, weaken the agreement that has been already signed or uh, for a return to the to the rebellion and for other offensive or attacks as we had in the past only last year. So uh, it's still too early to say what uh, are the next uh, steps, but uh, it's sure that uh, uh, something is already missed in the national dialogue that is going to, to start next week. Andrew, I saw you nodding along to some of what Enrico was saying, so I'm going to let you jump in. But I also want to ask you, from your perspective, um, if, if a, a lasting peace is not achieved uh, with this accord, how is that going to impact other countries in the region, other countries in Central Africa? Well, I think for me, the, the key challenge here is that the, even if you did have an agreement that uh, was met and it was signed, you would still need to be able to implement the, the agreement in, in practice. And that tends to be a challenge with North African states. Now, regionally, the challenge here that I foresee is that it, it could continue to spill over into other countries uh, where some groups have harbored, uh, I'm thinking here of Darfur as well and other places, where it creates uh, sort of a, a hospice for uh, these groups to, to hide, uh, but also uh, to to play political mangling between uh, different states as well. So on the larger scale, what it could do is create this continuous regional instability. But also I'm thinking the wider picture here is really about uh, Chad's contributions to uh, African security. We've seen uh, a rise of Chad of the last decade, uh, particularly in uh, larger African missions. I'm thinking here of the multinational joint task force in the Lake Chad Basin, the G5 Sahel, uh, even the UN mission. And so, you know, if you have insecurity at home, uh, eventually at some point these troops could be sent back uh, to deal with the, the insecurity uh, amongst the groups that haven't signed. Uh, and so the, the wider challenge, or should I say concern for me, is that if this is not resolved or if uh, there isn't a meaningful uh, process that is put in place to try and bring some of these groups that have said, the nine groups that have said, actually, no, we don't really part of this agreement, then what happens there on that dynamic? Uh, and so that is the space that we're, we need to be looking at as well long term here. And Andrew, uh, you know, since you brought this up, I mean, when it comes to efforts uh, in combating armed groups fighting in the region, how significant a role does does Chad play in those efforts? Well, I think less so with armed groups, but more so with, with terrorists. And uh, there are those uh, on, on the panel who will be able to talk to this matter. Uh, but particularly with terrorist groups, uh, Boko Haram, uh, in the Lake Chad Basin and other groups as well who are who, who roam across uh, tri-border areas or the regional areas. Uh, that is a challenge. But also Chad has been, I, I would say, at the forefront of trying to deal with with that uh, challenge, uh, particularly because other states or, or member states of that region uh, within ECOWAS haven't always been uh, as, as forthcoming, but also been equipped and rapidly being able to deal with that challenge. So for me, uh, I think that is a concern. If long-term uh, forces are then brought back home to, have to deal with this challenge, then what happens to this gap? We're already seeing this with the, the G5 Sahel, where, for example, Mali, um, Mali is pulled out from there. You, there's a gap that needs to be filled. Uh, again, you know, Chad has been, uh, under previous uh, leadership, has been at the forefront of dealing with this. But this, again, if you have this insecurity in, 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 uh, internally, which has always been there to, to, to say that, but if it continues, uh, it could mean that troops are deployed from one area to the other to deal with that. And that long term isn't good for the region. 
Uh, Enrica, uh, you mentioned a moment ago that um, this agreement is supposed to pave the way for a national dialogue, which is supposed to begin in, in Jemena later this month. Um, do you believe that that timeline will actually be met, that this broader national reconciliation dialogue can actually start um, as it is scheduled to start this month? Well, uh, um, it's uh, likely to be uh, delayed uh, again, uh, I think, because uh, um, even though uh, the uh, committee to prepare the dialogue uh, was uh, on the preparation uh, since the beginning of the of the year, since the, well, actually, end of last year, because the dialogue was uh, uh, originally uh, scheduled for January, then uh, delayed till May, and then rescheduled on uh, uh, the 20th of August. Uh, even though like the preparation has been already long, the uh, different uh, um, the contest has been also evolving uh, in the country. So at certain point, some of uh, most of the civil society organization and uh, of political opposition uh, were uh, uh, willing to participate in the, into the dialogue. But then after the events uh, in May, uh, the arrest uh, of the leader of uh, Vakitama, one of the uh, the main uh, opposition uh, uh, coalition uh, in the country, and uh, uh, also the uh, discussion around the attribution of seats, about the quota of uh, uh, the participation of the different political actors uh, uh, in the national dialogue. This is uh, uh, making the context and the situation more tense, and an agreement hasn't been found yet. The political opposition uh, estimate uh, and the civil society estimated that uh, out of the uh, 1,400 uh, seats in the national dialogue, uh, 1,200 uh, will be occupied by people close to the government. So a question about the legitimacy and the inclusivity of the dialogue is on the table since a few weeks. And this is not uh, only about the participation of the armed group or the, uh, of the discussion in, uh, in Doha. It's something much more uh, entrenched to the uh, inclusivity in the country and the participation. So this is something that should be sorted out before the beginning. And it's unlikely that will be done in only one week. Uh, Ramaji, um, the Front for Change and Concord in Chad, that's the main rebel group, um, they said in a statement that their rejection of the agreement followed the failure to take our demands into consideration. What kind of demands are they, are they talking about? Uh, was this simply about prisoners that they were demanding to be released, or was there more at play here? Oh, uh, there, there was more, actually, uh, at stake. Uh, the, 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 the fate of the prisoners is part of the demands they have, but they were also having demands regarding uh, the transitional chart uh, to mean the way power is uh, devoted, most of the power is devoted to the, the president of the transition. This is something they have been uh, talking about. Uh, there is also uh, the necessity for the people that are actually leading this transition not to be uh, candidate in the coming elections. It's something also that they have been demanding. They also requested a kind of parity uh, in terms of uh, participants in the inclusive dialogue, meaning there shouldn't be more people that are close or from uh, the former leading party or from um, the, the transitional, uh, military transitional council, but there should be a parity in terms of representatives. So uh, people from that part, but also uh, people from opposition parties, from civil society, and also from rebel groups. And the last thing that they have also been requesting and that is something that we think uh, can't be met, actually, uh, is uh, the resettlement of the World Committee in charge of uh, organizing the dialogue. If we consider that a date has been set for that dialogue, 
meaning the 20th of August. Uh, it's uh, in uh, two weeks, actually. Uh, so uh, we doubt how the government can still, you know, reset the committee. Uh, so I think these are the main demands they are doing. Uh, and uh, this is why also uh, at the end they didn't then sign this agreement and won't be part of the rest of the process. Uh, Andrew, um, one of the messages coming out of the, the conclusion of these talks uh, in Doha was that uh, even for those groups who did not participate this time out, there, there is a hope or at least an offer being extended by those who did participate uh, that they would like to see these armed groups, uh, these rebel groups, these opposition figures participate at some point going forward, perhaps when this national reconciliation dialogue uh, finally kicks off. Do you think that, uh, you know, is likely to happen? Will more groups enter into this dialogue at some point? Uh, that is my hope that that could happen. Um, I think it's crucial that that, um, that offer be extended and continually be extended. Uh, why? Because if, if not, like as, as others have mentioned, you then have a, a, a non-inclusive approach, uh, which means that you have these rebel groups who continue to sit on the sidelines. And that isn't good for um, the, the sort of the long-term stability of Chad uh, and also other parts of the regions I've mentioned before. So for me, I think that that room uh, and that gateway should continue to be uh, uh, left open. It should be continued to, to, uh, to, to be, dialogue should continue to be used to open that gateway. Uh, but I also think what is also crucial is that uh, those who are leading the mediation efforts uh, need to make sure that those who have signed the agreements uh, to date uh, meet the stipulations and the protocols within that agreement. Because if not, what you then have is a situation where these groups uh, who have signed end up rebellion uh, and then join in the groups who haven't signed. And then you have this further fragmentation of, of the agreement itself. And that long term, as I've spoken about in other cases, like in Sudan and uh, in South Sudan, isn't good because then you can't consolidate the, the, the gains and, and the peace that you want to as well. Uh, Enrica, the Transitional Military Council uh, had said um, that it would oversee an 18-month transition to democratic rule uh, and that elections would eventually be held. Have there been signs indicating that they are actually going about trying to organize elections? I will say that uh, there is already a general consensus, uh, more or less uh, explicit, about the fact that the transition will be extended. Uh, the end of the 18 months will be end of September, beginning of October, and uh, it's impossible that uh, by that date uh, the national dialogue, both the national dialogue and the election, will be organized. And to organize a credible, uh, uh, fair and credible election, uh, there is uh, an entire machine to be put in place, uh, starting from the census, uh, uh, then uh, the electoral commission, uh, etc., that has not been approached yet. Also because one of the objectives of the National Dialogue is to uh, revise the transitional constitution, the transitional charter, and uh, to set the rules for the upcoming election. Uh, chiefly about the fact uh, if the member of the uh, Transitional Military Council can run for, uh, uh, in the upcoming election or not. So uh, the very basic uh, rules of the games are not in place, of the game are not in place yet, and uh, the preparation hasn't started. Um, the, the Chadian government is still looking for uh, funding, for, uh, also for international funding to uh, support this election, but we are still far from that. Uh, Ramaji, from your perspective, what do you think is the earliest we could possibly see elections happening? Yeah, as uh, Erika said, uh, actually, uh, the terms that have been set for this transition, uh, normally the elections have to be happening 
uh, in uh, the coming three months. But actually, with that dialogue that uh, is just starting, uh, there's no way having elections so within 2022. And uh, the earliest that the elections could be organized in this country uh, might be around mid-2023. But again, uh, let us recall the fact that even for the discussions in Doha, uh, this debate uh, in Doha have been uh, lasting for five months, meaning that uh, uh, there is no way someone can predict exactly what could happen uh, in terms of having the election. So it's meaning that the transition will be certainly extended, but then uh, we don't have any exactitude about putting in place all the machine to organize the elections, as uh, explained by Enrica. So I think that mid-September, mid-2023 uh, is the more optimistic uh, delay I can set for this, uh, I could see for these elections. And Ramaji, if I could also just ask you, I want to take a step back for a second. Um, is there hope in Chad right now among ordinary citizens that this accord could either stop or at least significantly reduce any of the fighting? Yeah, I think that uh, the world transition process uh, brought a lot of uh, hope here in the country. Uh, but let also uh, think about the fact that uh, the people in this country have been witnessing also a lot of process like this one, a lot of uh, peace agreement between the government and rebel groups that at the end of the day uh, turned back to instability in the country. So I think that with the evolutions we are observing actually in Chad, uh, the hope that have been brought about by the transition is kind of uh, fading away uh, because of uh, disagreement we have without uh, the most uh, important uh, uh, rebel groups, etc. Uh, I think that actually uh, the feeling here in Chad is very mixed in terms of hope uh, towards uh, turning back to the, the constitutional order. Uh, Enrica, a moment ago, you mentioned how uh, one of the steps that, that is believed that will be taken soon, or at least the plan is for it to be taken soon, is that a, a new constitution should be drafted. Um, how difficult will that be to accomplish? Well, uh, it will be uh, quite a difficult step to, to achieve. Uh, um, first, because, uh, uh, first of all, because uh, not all the parties, as uh, we just mentioned, uh, will be represented in the national dialogue. So some uh, uh, of key uh, military political uh, actors will not be part uh, of the dialogue, at least this dialogue, even uh, though we hope that uh, there might be like uh, parallel negotiation. But uh, also because there is no agreement on which kind uh, of constitution uh, um, Chadians want to want to have. During the uh, preliminary consultation uh, outside of the capital in Jamena, among the diaspora in the neighbor countries uh, that have been done in uh, um, around October, November last year, there were very um, hot discussion about the shape of the state. Uh, a federation, a unitary state. So all these uh, issues will be on the table for the first time, actually, in the recent history of the country. And uh, they will be uh, part of the debate, beside uh, all the issues that we already mentioned about the eligibility of the member of the transitional government, etc. So uh, if it's properly done, if it's really uh, inclusive and representative, the national dialogue will, will uh, have to work hard to frame the constitution uh, mm. in a uh, way that uh, is accepted by mm. all the parties that, that are represented. And Enrica, we only have a couple of minutes left, but um, how involved has the international community been uh, in reaching this new uh, accord? And, and how different is that from uh, other accords in the past? 
Well, the international community has been facilitating uh, the uh, negotiation in, uh, in Doha alongside with uh, the uh, Qatari government. Uh, they've been a uh, uh, mediator from uh, France, from, uh, from the US, from the African Union uh, in Doha supporting the, the negotiation. But there has also been pressure from the international community uh, towards the member of the transitional uh, government. Uh, I think mainly to uh, the declaration of the chartered affair of the United States in July, uh, who called the transitional government uh, uh, to change the, the charter and uh, um, and uh, do not run for uh, for election after the, the end of the of the dialogue. So there have been pressure in many different ways. And the transitional government, uh, I will say that is now uh, in uh, now has to find a kind of balance uh, mm -hmm. in between uh, the pressure to end the transition, uh, mm -hmm. but also the fact that uh, its decision will not be perceived as unilateral, mm -hmm. because this is one of the um, one of the uh, concern. Mm -hmm. uh, of the one of the main concern of the stakeholders involved, that uh, the transitional government is now imposing uh, some mm -hmm. uh, decisions. So we have, uh, compared to former agreements and to former dialogue, we have an opportunity mm. to uh, to move towards something that is much more inclusive and legitimate. But uh, still, uh, we'll see in the coming weeks or months uh, if uh, there is a real willing to do so. All right. Well, we have run out of time, so we're going to have to leave our conversation there today. Thanks so much to all of our guests, Ramadi, uh, Ramaji Hoinathi, Enrica Pico, and Andrew Yaochi. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Mohamed Aishi, Jillian Wolf, Osama Aluni, Fungi Nguyen, and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Phil Morrison. The program was edited by Anna Savage, Lynn Nguyen, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Wednesday.